Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 55 of the Commando Voice. On this episode, we get into part two of my interview with our former Washington Senator, Mary Margaret. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, we get back into my interview with Mary Margaret, a former senator here in Washington State. Um, so we're going to jump right back in. We're going to jump right in where she becomes a senator. Um, if you want to, if you haven't listened to part one yet from last week, go back and listen to episode fifty-four. You'll hear a lot about her history um, on Camino, as well as um, where she got started in politics and why. Um, but we are going to kind of jump right back into it here. So, like I said, go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. But if you have, please enjoy part two of my interview with Mary Margaret. So then, what kind of prompted you to move um, and decide to run as a senator? Well, it was lots of... Well, first of all, Jack Medcalf, who was a senator, was running for Congress, so it was open seat. Okay. And... Uh, in the Senate, you run for four years. In the House, you run for two years. Okay. So you only have to run elections every four years versus two years. Okay. Which was one, one appealing thing. Right. And the other thing is you only have to deal with half amount of people. Okay. In the, in the House, you have to get 50 votes. In the Senate, you only need 25 votes. Okay. So it was easier to find 25 votes than 50 votes. And so I decided I wanted to be a senator. Plus, the fact is, as a senator, you had more individuality. Okay. In the House, I always said it was kind of herd mentality. You had to get a large group together to get things done, which yeah. I could do. But it was so much easier in the Senate. You could get 25 people on your side easier than getting 50 people. Right. So we ran for the Senate and won, and I spent 20 years as a senator. Okay. Wonderful time. I enjoyed it. The one thing that was important for me was to do things for the people I represented. Yeah. I really cared. Right. And I worked really hard. Yeah. Well, so so when you moved um as a sen when you moved into the house or into the Senate, how was that um as you were starting out and getting going in that? How was that different? I mean, you already mentioned the numbers, but how else was that kind of different for you moving into that role? Well, I was fortunate because I, they always say, you're house trained. There are people who get elected to the Senate that never serve in the House. Okay. But I had served in the House, so that gave, you, gave me an understanding of the legislative process to start with. Okay. Which was important. Yeah. And uh, by that time, I realized that it was important that you have a little clout. You know, you'd, being a chairman was certainly an advantage. But if you could chair a committee that had a budget, it would even be better. Okay. And so that's when I worked to become chairman of transportation because that was... We had a budget that we controlled. Yep. And so it gave you more power. Got it. So then were you, if you're um, a state representative or a senator, can you be in charge of boards and chairmans and, and are they the same ones or are they different? No, when I went in the Senate, I still served on local government. Okay. But I actually, and I actually was chairman there for a couple of years, but then the, the transportation committee came up and I ran for the transportation committee. Okay. But it... There's only so many, like there's 17 committees, so there's only like 17 people get chairmanships. And then they generally have the, the 
whoever, whatever party is in the majority is the chair. And then the minorities have what they call the ranking minority. Okay. I always work very closely with the ranking minorities. I try to be very nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. First of all, local government was never really a partisan issues. Yeah. And neither was transportation. <clears throat> I used to tell people, you tell me which part of the road is democratic and I'll <laughs> fund it. But it's a joke, you know. So we always worked, and I work with my ranking minority, and we'd set the agenda together because the chairman sets the agenda for the committees, and we'd set okay. the agenda to the committee and make a decision whether we're going to run what bills we go and which bills. You get a lot of bills, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you get 100 bills come into your committee. You can't do them all, so you've got to decide what you're going to do. Wow. And I always work with my ranking minority, and we establish what were priorities. And I tried not to run anything that was really truly controversial. Okay. So then... <clears throat> Do you, and I guess another question just goes back a little bit, but you said that during the time as a state representative, it was like somewhat part-time. You were still doing some, um, mm-hmm. working with the hair salon. And, um, once you became a Senator, were you still able to kind it's of It's still it? the same. It's still part-time. The same, okay. the same hours you work, except when I became chairman of transportation, I took on a lot more responsibility because mm-hmm. I had a very large staff that I had to deal with. Okay. But this, we still are a part-time legislature in the state. Okay. You'll find that legislators today have jobs and other things. In fact, that is one of the problems I think it has con- over the years. It's hard to find somebody who can be a part-time legislator. Yeah. Particularly if you're a small business person, because right. if you're a small business person, you're the business. Right. And if you're not there, <laughs> your business fails. I yeah. remember a couple men when I was in the House who lost their businesses being legislature. Wow. So people who serve, are, you find a lot of people who are... I call inside lobbyists, people who work for large corporations mm-hmm. who will pay them their income year-round, and then the, legisla- the legislator gives them what they make in the legislature in return, so they're still collecting oh, okay. salary. And they're, they're probably, for most, there isn't a conflict of interest, but it's hard to believe you wouldn't have some leanings. Yeah. I have a lot of school teachers. Mm-hmm. Or, or, um, you have a lot of retired people. Yeah. It's hard to find people who will serve in the legislature. They have now raised the salary. I think it's $52,000. Okay. But when I went in, it was like $11,000. Wow. So That's great. You make more working hourly almost. Well, I would made more being a hairdresser. Yeah. You know, but it's still, it's, it was, but it's public service. But now, right. but even at $52,000 a year, if you've got a family, yeah, it's very hard for young people to serve in the legislature. Right. Because it's hard to find a job that'll... Only let you work half the year, right? And you never know what, how, what other things might come up, right? I watched a lot of young people struggle. Yeah, one of my favorite congressmen is Derek Kilmer, a wonderful young congressman, but he used to sit right behind me on the floor when I was in the Senate. He was struggling so hard because he had college debt, and you know he he, he had two young children, and he only could work part time, and the money we're making in the Senate wasn't much. He really was. Really, really concerned whether he could continue it. He ultimately ran for Congress and won. I mean, he's a wonderful young man, but I remember him telling me how struggling it was for him Yeah. to try to be a father and handle his wife worked, which helped, but it right. makes it difficult. It, yeah, that's... And businessmen, like I say, to find a small businessman, it's almost impossible. Right. Yeah, because you're, <laughs> you spend so much time just making the day-to-day run that yeah. trying to then peel away from that mm-hmm. is, is difficult. That's one of our faults with it. I think a citizen legislature works well mm-hmm. in one respect, and the other respect is 
because of the, the workload, it's very difficult to be a part-time legislator now. Much more now than it was when I first went in. Mm-hmm. You know, in the House, we didn't have as many pieces of legislation. Life wasn't as complicated. Yeah. You know, the budget wasn't, you know, went from all the way from $3 billion to $50 billion. You know, yeah. I, had, I had a transportation budget of, of $15 billion. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to be a half-time, part-time legislator and, and, you know, be making sure that every dollar is spent like it should be spent. Yeah. So it, it's it's a tough job. It really is. Right. And you need somebody who's willing to work really hard and really cares. For me, the most important thing is you have to have people who care about the people you're serving. Mm-hmm. For me, I always used to say, I'm the senator from the 10th district who happens to be a Democrat, but I'm your senator first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so then <clears throat> when you were doing, uh, it must have been as, when during your time as a senator then, um, and I don't know where on this that we can touch on and what we can't, but I just want to kind of ask you because the, this project, the here at Oh Commando yeah, Commons, I did this one. And this was one that I know that my dad was trying to get done. And, and many people prior to him had tried to do something here. Um, and whenever I talk to my dad, he always says that Mary Margaret was the reason that this project was able to get finished. What was, how did that kind of all come about? Well, because we needed a buyer to buy the land, and so I convinced the Department of Transportation to build a park and ride. Okay. <laughs> so so one-third of the property was owned by the park and ride. Okay. And then the guy who, uh, then the people before your father bought this, this portion of it, and then the other portion, we convinced the guy to give it for a park. Okay. But I got the money, first monies. <laughs> first money in <laughs> always makes a difference. But the park and ride is what we built. Okay. So that's what got started. Yeah. Well, and I know, like, during the, the process, again, kind of touching on, like, the difficulty of trying to get certain projects done, you start running into these roadblocks that don't really make sense in today's day and age. Um, did you work on that side as far as, like... I tried as much as I could. You know, I was on the state level, but tried to work with the locals because a lot of a lot of planning and such goes through the local government. Mm-hmm. But we tried as much as we could. But, like, you know, this is part state highway here and part not, so... Yeah. As much as I could help. Yeah. That was the thing, nice thing about controlling a budget, you know, because then I could make some investments in my community. Yeah. Like parking rides. The one out at the uh, freeways, I got that parking ride there too. Okay. Very cool. I was ranking minority at that time, and the guy who was the chairman of the transportation budget, he wasn't going to spend any money that wasn't on the I-5 corridor. And I said, I need a parking ride. <laughs> and it's right next to the I-5 corridor. Nice. <clears throat> and then when, was it during, because um, I get fuzzy on the dates, did you work and kind of um, work towards the getting the Cama Beach established? I was. I did. I and didn't. was that when you were uh, in the House or with the Senate? Well, it was, took a long time. I started in the House and worked into the Senate on okay. it. It was, it was over 17 years. Wow. But uh, the girls called, called, I knew the girls because I went to school with them. They rode the school bus. They were on the right, my side of the island. <laughs> And uh, when their mother had died, they came and said we were interested in the land becoming part of the state park system. Well, at that time, of course, a lot, like much, much of the legislature, there was no money for new investments. And uh, the state park really wasn't looking at buying, state parks wasn't really looking at buying new land. So I called up the guy who was the head of the state park. His name was Cleve Penix. And I said, Cleve, I've got some land to be a park. And he said, oh, we're not buying any more land. I said, Cleve, you come and look at this, and then you tell me no. (laughs) 
And I said, you come and look at it, and if you want it, I'll make sure you get the money. So for 17 years, that's what I worked on. Wow. Getting the money to buy that park. Of course, the family gave half, they paid $16,000 million for it, and they gave half of it back to the, to the state. Wow. And a lot of people don't know that about that family. They gave half of the money they were paid, because the state has to pay full value for property. So half of the money they give back to the state to invest into the park. Wow. But, of course, that was a drop in the bucket. By that time, I was in transportation, and one of the first things we did was put the, if you remember, notice the parking lots went in first. Okay. Because I could fund that to the transportation budget. <laughs> but I spent 17 years uh, working on getting funding for that park. Okay. So 17, that's a, wow. You know, because it, it, it took a long time for it to open, but it, there was a lot to be done there. Yeah. It's a wonderful facility now. It is. It, it's something that a lot of people have really enjoyed, and... Um, I think it's just, it, it's, I know when it was getting opened, um, when I talked to people, if they, you know, they were like, Camino has two state parks now. <laughs> um, but then like it offers a different, a, a totally different aspect to it. Oh yeah. Um, it was one of the first t- parks that really went into, you know, having the cabins made a difference. Yeah. It, it really, it, it's, they made a real enterprise out of that place. Of course, uh, you should interview Jeff Wheeler, who was the ringer, who was there during that time. Okay. Because he can tell you a lot about the beginning. There was a lot of struggles, you know, because they found the native burials and such. But uh, it is a park that's totally different from the other state park. The other is a traditional park where you can go and camp and go to the beach. Right. This one is you can go stay in those wonderful cabins. You can still use it for day use. Yeah. It has all that land that you can use to hike in. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful, wonderful facility. Yeah. And I'm proud to have a little say in it. <laughs> 17 years saying. <laughs> yeah. What do you want for your capital budget project? Money for Stigamma Beach. I got so... That, you know, one of the things I found that when I was in legislature working for my district is that Camino is a place, the same with Whidbey Island is a place where many people have lots of memories of young people. Mm-hmm. Young people. And the man who was in charge of the budget <clears throat> when I was trying to get the money, original money was a man who had worked on a Camel Beach logging project as okay. a young man. He was an engineer working with a logging who was logging when Muriel was there. And so he remembered the park. The oh, land. cool. And so when I went, he knew what I was talking about. And so whenever I actually needed money for anything, I bought it. And I bought a lot of projects in this area. I'd go to my friends who knew Camano Island. Yeah. And say, do you not do something for Camano Island? Yeah. <laughs> or Woodby Island? Right. Or Skagit? hmm Very cool. And then you also were... This makes more sense now. You were also um, very instrumental in getting us a replacement bridge that, you know. Oh, yes. We built the bridge. Yeah. I remember that. I mean, that was another very long project. How long were you working on that one? Well, I had to get the money. (laughs) Minor detail. Yeah. But we we actually, first I got money for the corridor. We did improvements from the corridor all the way from I-5, clear down to to Terry's Corner, made improvements on it. Okay. But the bridge needed to be replaced. Mm -hmm. And actually... We did the bridge when we did the first major investment in transportation for years. I worked with my colleagues to pass a transportation tax, gas tax so that we could make some investments in, in projects in this area mm-hmm. while in the state of Washington. So my priority was to build a bridge to Camino Island. <laughs> and so we built a bridge to Camino Island. Then I realized I needed to build the other bridge. <laughs> and so that was one of the last things I did was get the money for the bridge. I also got the train station in Stanwood. Okay. 
So mm -hmm. I was able to do things that transportation made a difference. Uh, I, I, Highway 20 all the way from it, four-lading it from Mount Vernon, clear out to uh, Anacortes. I yeah. got the money for that, worked with my colleague who was next door to me. Okay. So we were, and ferries, ferries was very important. Yeah. In fact, um, we built the first ferries that had been built in many, many years. Uh, they were going to close down the ferry run to Coop, from Coopville to Port Townsend, <coughs> mm -hmm. and I would not let them do that. <laughs> <laughs> so we built the small ferries that serve that area now. Okay. Very cool. So something I'm kind of curious on. So you said uh, when you were in office, you were always working with your the forget the name now, but the next party, the secondary party part. Partisan party. Yeah. Partisan party. <laughs> um, do you feel like since leaving, just from what you've experienced and seen? has It's have, terrible. It's terrible. Has that been kind of ripped apart? I think feel? it's very difficult. There are still people, you know, you just hear the top people. There's still people down in the, in the trenches who are working together, mm -hmm. but it's become so terribly partisan. It's, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's really shameful. Right. Because... You should be working for the good of your country. You know, democracy is people of different positions coming together and reaching a consensus. When you and I don't agree, if we sit down and decide what the problem is, then we have probably come up with the right solution. Yeah. One of my favorite stories about the Growth Management Act was it was really hard because there was the builders and the environmentalists and everybody, you know, they all had wanted something. I sat down with the, all the special interest groups and I said, we've got to come to a consensus. And we need to create a piece of legislation that you all can live with. Not that you like, but you can live with. Mm -hmm. Because I believe when special interests don't win, the public wins. And I actually had a piece of paper, and I still had it. I made every one of those people sitting around that table, all those lobbyists, sign off on that piece of paper, saying, you've agreed to this now. So you can't go back and say, we didn't agree to this, because I have your name on this, that you agreed <laughs> to this. But that, when, when the special interests doesn't win, the public wins. Mm -hmm. And I think that isn't what we look at now. People get in their corners and they get over here and they get their positions and then they come out and fight. That's ridiculous. Democracy is when two parties sit down together, work together, and come up with a consensus. Yeah. Well, and you need, <clears throat> you need the, and I'm doing a lot of reading and stuff on this, is all of us have our own perspective. We of all do. Where we grew up, how we were raised, the environment we lived in. So you need those opposite, mm -hmm. you need those opposite perspectives to be able to come to the table and to work through these things because they see, there's certain things you guys are going to always disagree on, but there's things you're going to see that you never would have seen. And that's what's so important about it. That's mm -hmm. how it works so well is when they sit down together and talk about it. You know, it, nobody agrees 100% on anything. Yeah. But you do have it, a perspective you bring and it helps you, it educates you. Mm -hmm. You know, you really become much more educated. You know, the environmentalists used to beat me up all the time. They say, oh, you're not environmental enough. I said, I grew up on an island, for God's sake. You can't be much more environmentalist than living on an island with limited resources. <laughs> but you've got to use some common sense, mm -hmm. you know. So that's the one thing. I, I, I don't see that anymore. People, they get in their positions and, and they establish it. It's like the wearing of the mask. That's a totally stupid. Mm -hmm. What's a Democratic or Republican about wearing a mask? It's about... You know, you go to the doctor, you don't argue with the doctor whether you take the medicine or not. The yeah. doctor tells you you should wear the mask, you should wear the mask. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden it's become a partisan issue. It's stupid. <laughs> I can hardly believe how stupid it is. Yeah. Well, the, the, the different issues that, be, yeah, that become partisan issues when you look across the board and you're just kind of scratching your head like, 
I don't understand what's going on here. Like, why why does why do si- people have to pick a side on whatever issue it is? And mm-hmm. I think I do think it has to do somewhat with the evolution of social media and the fact that everybody has a voice now. That's yeah, true. Which means you you go down to the lowest con- denominator of anyone is able to say something, and you I know, think that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think I think your generation is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I really have faith in America because of the next generation. I think you're much more attuned. You have a lot to educate us about. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're my generation. You're pretty limited in your knowledge. and the generation before I was limited. But young people now have some, so many more life experiences. Mm-hmm. I don't. My, when my son got married, he married a girl from Germany, and amazing, all the people that came to their wedding were all these kids from all over the world because yeah. they're both done travelers. I mean. They have so many more life experiences than someone like myself mm-hmm. or someone else. So you've got to listen to these people. And the young people, I think, are really trying to force more of a consensus. Mm-hmm. But even among young people, you have extremists. You know that. Yes. Very yeah. extreme. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, it's you know, I think there there is both aspects to that. I think um, to some degree, um, the younger generation has been able to witness and see so many more things in a shorter period of time. So on one hand, they have this ability to be more flexible and see. But then you also see that do the opposite effect of really harden someone and really make them more diehard on their stances that they've made, even if, you know, regardless of what those stances are. Well, I think that's probably true of everybody when you're young. You're, mm-hmm. you're not as open as you are as you get older. Right. Life experiences does make it. That's the difference. You know, that's one thing. Our forefathers said you had to be 35 years old to be president of the United States. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're put some boundaries and you had to have some life experience. Right. And when I even looked at the presidential candidates, I was really impressed with some of those young men. But they need more life experience. Yeah. Because you learn as you get older. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you learn is to listen to other people. But that's a quality that not everybody has. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and it's something I think you do see on both sides that um, uh, whether they're younger or older, like there's people that are better, just inherently better at, at listening and, and really working with other people and people that aren't. That's true. So It really is. I saw that. And, mm-hmm. you know, people say, why didn't you ever try for a higher leadership role in the legislature? Well, the truth of the matter is I really didn't want to do that because I wanted the flexibility to work with everybody. Mm-hmm. And when you're the leader of one of your caucuses, whether you're leader of the Democrats, or you've got to be walking the party line. Yeah. In fact... The Democrats are not as bad as the Republicans. In the legislature, the Republicans have a rule, the rule of 13 in the, late, in the Senate. If you can't get 13 people to agree with you, they won't put a bill on the floor. Okay. In the, and I, when I was in the Senate, they used to say, well, we ought to have the rule of 13 in this off caucus, too. I said, sorry, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not going to go with that. Yeah. You know, if... if People in both parties can come together and you get a majority from both sides to think it's a good issue. You ought to put it on the floor. Yeah. So that's one of the things with people grumble about McConnell now. He just says, no, you're not even going to hear it. Yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. You need to put it on the floor and let it be debated. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really very narrow-sighted. Yeah. But again, under the political structure, you have people who are in leadership and some are more hardened to playing their role than the others. Yeah. We've, we're really fortunate in this state. We've had some really good leaders. You know, Henry Jackson was an outstanding senator. And I think Patty Murray is a good senator, too. If you need, you've noticed about Patty, she's working with both sides a lot on a lot of issues. She's, kind okay. of, she's not one out in front on a lot of issues. She's often one of the negotiators. Okay. 
You know, and I served under five governors. The toughest governor and the best governor I ever served with was uh, Christine Gregoire. Okay. Christine, of course, is an attorney. She's very, very smart. And, of course, in negotiations, again, it's a give and take. And uh, oftentimes when we were negotiating budgets, we'd have some conflict, and we'd end up in the governor's office to try to resolve them. Mm-hmm. Christine always knew both sides of the issue. She knew who it was, and she would force us to come to agreement. And I used to say, you walked out of her office, you felt like you win, even if you lost. <laughs> and that's a, that's, a, that's a gift that not a lot of people have. Yeah. That you can bring people together and don't agree and then come to a consensus. Yeah. And everybody feels like they win, and maybe you didn't. <laughs> and, and that's the way politics should be done today. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the next generation will do so. I'm real excited to see some of the younger people are being elected. Yeah. Of course, I'm real proud of all the women being elected. Yeah. I, they make a difference. We see things differently than men. They do. Yeah. And I know that's something with um, when we were, or rather with my dad, when the, he worked with uh, nonprofits like Agros International and stuff like that, what they found is if they educate and, um, if they educate and work with the women, the entire village would do well. The that's children true. would do well. You know, the men would inherently do well. It would grow the village. What they found is if they educated just the men, they would move to the cities and go start working jobs and doing that. But the village wouldn't really change much, except for now the men were leaving. Mm -hmm. So women have this inherent nurturing nature of caring about their family, their community. Um, And men, there's there's strengths there with, with leadership, things like that. But women really care about what's going on with the people and at the people level. And I found that to be true in the legislature. When I first went in the legislature, there weren't many women in the legislature. We were the first big class. And it was so interesting because all the guys were saying, oh, this is the hardest job we ever had. And we all thought, this is wonderful. We don't have to go home and cook dinner tonight, but we can work <laughs> on this. But, you know, and the women all work together on issues together. Yeah. I look at the black community. I think that's the women in the black community are the strong ones mm-hmm. because of what you said. Yeah. I'll tell you a terrible thing my mother used to tell me because, of course, I was the only child, only girl. My mother, I used to say, why can't you be treated like my, bo- my brothers? And she said, Mary Margaret, you're a girl. You don't be treated like... She used to say, God made man, then he made women. He didn't make the same mistakes twice. <laughs> and I sort of think that's true. You know, some of our strengths are men's weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Yeah. We, you know, we didn't have to be big and strong because he'd already created this big and strong individual, but he needed somebody who would nurture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah, that was... Um, yeah, so I think I think that's that's always a positive that they they can see that and they care and that's what their their goal is. We uh, not a hundred percent true all the time, but men in general are more goal and like accomplishment driven. So like it's about what they can do and get done. And sometimes we can get blinded by that and just go for the accomplishment side, whether or not we really needed or wanted even that accomplishment to be completed. But they got to win. Yes. And that's one of the reasons that for me in the legislature, I often looked at what we did because, you know, we'd get led, men to get some legislation passed and wow, this is wonderful. Well, they never looked in back and see what they broke when they did it. Because yeah. when you fix past one law, you sometimes break others. Yep. And you're right. They just buy one that, let's move on, let's get the next thing done. And yep. so you need to take a, take a look at what you've done. Yeah. Very cool. And that's because mother, you know, that's your mothering and you, you know, you're going to make sure your kids keep on growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think it's neat, like, 
<clears throat> you started in the education sector, and even throughout your time and how you ran within your legislation and stuff like that was still based on the education of continuing education and, and you know. Being a better place for people. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's our responsibility is leave the rest better than us when you came. Yeah. And I can say I left Camino better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, as, as Camino and, and growing up, like, I mean, I moved here, uh, you know, 94 mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. So like pretty new compared to a lot of the, the, people who have lived on the island for a long time but um you know i've seen a lot of change on the island and i you know that was really basically one from when you got in <laughs> to when i went to college and stuff you were part of that and um you know there's there's been a lot of really positive changes especially here on kameno i mean most of the time when we were traveling back and forth between kameno and tucson or we do family vacations and we start talking with people they'd say oh where are you from we'd be like kameno island they're like where's that <laughs> and i've never heard of that and um you know it it's still not super common but there's more and more people that we see out that are aware know of where it's true you know i always just say i represent the most beautiful place in the world and my colleagues used to get mad when i get on the floor and say, i represent the most beautiful district in the world <laughs> i live in the most beautiful place but you know one of the things about commando it's a special place yeah um First of all, we're an island that you can drive to. That's right. huge. Yeah. That's huge. And at one time on Camino Island, there were lots of little fishing resorts all around the island. Mm -hmm. And people used to come here in the 30s to go fishing. And then people would buy little parcels of property and build little cabins. Yep. And they'd come here for the summer. And so many people that you talk to who've moved here have wonderful memories of his child of coming here to the island. Yeah. Um, they came back here because it was something that was really special to them. Right. And I think that's how our island has grown a lot because of these people who, in, er, early on in their life, they experienced a positive experience here and they decided this was a good place to come. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's even reflected in the way, um, as a business owner now, um, how I've seen the island respond, like the things like COVID and stuff, like they've been very supportive overall of the businesses here on the island. Oh, yes. Um, and that's not the case in all the counties. When you look across the board, there's some counties that some businesses have been like, it's not that support. No, I know. know. Of course, I've been really, <laughs> this is terrible. I shouldn't be this way, but I'm, I can become a real total Camino Island person now. But I grew up when living on the island was not something very good. Mm -hmm. There's poor people lived on Camino Island when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, it was just, you came from Camino Island, you were poor. It was just the name. And if you lived on the south end, you were really poor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I remember my mother telling me one time when I came home from school, she said, why do people make fun of me, Mom? Because I live on the island. She says, well, we at least live on the north end. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for years, Stan would look at Camino and sort of like an ugly stepsister. Mm -hmm. And actually, Camino now is, is a stronger force than Stanwood. Yeah. And when Stanwood, you know, when we were able to open up here and they weren't in Stanwood, I know that the business wanted to work together. And yeah. I think that's great. To open up Stanwood, but I was glad that Camino got to go first. <laughs> you know, it it's just like the Stanwood School District, the Stanwood Camino School District now. For years it was a Stanwood district. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until my daughter was on the school board that she got to be Stanwood Camino School District. Yeah. Camino Island, the taxes from Camino Island support the most the majority of the Stanwood school budget. Okay. Because of the value of the island and, and a huge percentage of the children go there now too. Yeah. So but Camino has always been a, kind of a second 
second stepchild to stand with. Yeah. But we really aren't. We're the leaders now. Yeah. Well, and I think something else, though, I think that Stan with Kamano, the relationship between the two, um, even I would say in the last like five years, I feel like it's really pulled together as a Stan with Kamano community. Much more so. Um, because I think the other aspect is that um, the realization of, you know, Kamano's always kind of been the stepchild too to Island County because it's like oh, yeah. massive would be. And then there's Kamano. Um, but Stanwood has the same problem. They're the small town of Snohomish County, which mm-hmm. Snohomish is pretty large. So, um, you know, I think that's been a positive thing of seeing Stanwood Kamano really come together. And, I think it's positive. Mm-hmm. When I first became chairman of transportation, <clears throat> I, the county, county Snohomish County invited us to a meeting. And they me to a meeting because they wanted to show what the transportation needs were the island. They put these maps on the wall. And the map stopped the Smoky Point. <laughs> And I said, well, I'm leaving. I said, well, they said, why are you leaving? I said, I represent beyond Smoky Point. <laughs> and that is true. I mean, as far as they were concerned, it stopped at Smoky Point. Yeah. In Marysville. That was the end of it. Right. You know, and so Stanwood has always, <clears throat> in North, North County, has always been kind of the <laughs> yep. forgotten child. Right. And Stanwood was a very small community. Yeah. But I think the leaders in this community have come together mm-hmm. and are working together. And I want to give a lot of credit to the art community, too, mm-hmm. I think. They've been a real, I mean, there's no politics in art. Yeah. But they really work together to raise each other up. And I think it's been real positive, both Stanwood and Camino. Yeah. And the little historical society that struggles so mightily, it, you know, it, it really does preserve the history of this community. And yeah. People need to give more credit to it. Mm-hmm. They just assume it's there and it's a bunch of old people running it. But it really struggles yeah. to preserve our history. And it's really amazing, our history. Yeah. Yeah, I remember doing uh, a little bit of studies of, like, Camino Island history and stuff like that. And um, it's just, it's crazy to look back over Camino and see the kind of evolution that it's gone through. Stanwood was, Camino was bigger than Stanwood. Yeah, it was bigger than Seattle at one it was, point. It was, yes, it which was. Is weird. <laughs> well, not really, but, <laughs> yeah. but it was weird when you think about it. But, uh, and it never grew. Yeah. Some people think it's because the Indians slide on the south. There's a lot of stories. I want to tell you one thing. So a lot of history about Camino Island has been written by people that isn't always accurate. Okay. I, um, a lot of tales that have been told aren't really accurate. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of story- tales on Camino that have never been told. Mm-hmm. But uh, everybody comes here and then writes a history of Camino, and it's not the right history. Right. Yeah. Well, and you, so this kind of continues on. You, um, I guess, apart from, or once you finally um, left the Senate then, um, what kind of, what did you get involved in? What, and I guess kind of what came about that, that led you to that decision, like that you were ready to leave politics? Well, of course, I lost my election. Okay. That was the issue for me. I lost the election. But I had served 30 years. Yeah. And, of course, one of the issues was tough was because I was the 25th vote on gay marriage. Okay. Which, you know, for me was probably the best vote I ever took. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, they consider it the worst. I had people I'd known my whole life who told me they couldn't vote for me over that issue. Okay. But again, it's a generational thing. Yeah. And nobody's been hurt by it. Yeah. You know, and it's wonderful for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But the one thing about I'd spent 25 years or 30 years of my life working so hard at being a state senator that I didn't have much time to be a friend. Yeah. And so one of the things I have found is I've had time to be a friend again. <laughs> you know, I'm, I have all these people I went to school with know my whole life. And, you know, I'd see them once a year, but now I try to have lunch with them if we ever can again. Yeah. 
And then I have a real love of this history, so I became a member of the Stanford Historical Society. I was on that board. And now I'm president of the Outside Ladies' Aid. Okay. And the Outside Ladies' Aid, its goal is to preserve the past for the future. Yeah. And one of the things we do is spend a lot of time collecting the history of that area. Yeah. So then how have, I guess with that then, have you been digging into the kind of the history books that people have written about Camino, stuff like that, and then... Um, where else have you looked to find more information and in kind of the history of Camino? Well, I had a lot of history in my own family. Yeah. You know, uh, but I've read, I've read all the books on it. Mm-hmm. And like I say, some of them are more accurate than others. Yeah. What are some of the better ones for our listeners if they're interested in like the history of Camino? I think Karen Prosty did a very good job. Okay. Her book is one of the better ones I've read. John Dean did a nice job in his books too. Okay. Nice. Those two I'll give... Pluses on some of the others are pretty big minuses, and I won't say them. But <laughs> okay. Karen did a very good job. She did a lot of hard work on research. Okay. She talked to a lot of locals. Very cool. But there's a lot of local stories that you know people don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, and that's something that, like I'd love to hear more of that. Yeah, you it's know. really much. One of the things that I did, like I said, the ladies' aid, we had it called history night, and the first night we had we had five students that went to the Asalai school. Okay. And they told the story of growing up in the school, and then the next year we had people who had gone in a later time, and it was fun to hear the history from every every era has its own history. Yeah. In this area. Yeah. And there's a lot, a lot there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Um. But I spend a lot of time being a grandmother now too. That's something I never had a chance to do either. I. I never babysat my own grandchildren because I was in the legislature when they were born. Okay. You know, other than just a minor. But now I've actually babysitted my great-grandchildren a couple of times. Oh, fun. Yeah. But I never, you know, it's, when I was in the legislature, it was, for me, a full-time job. Yeah. Well, it sounds it like was a, a huge district. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a, I mean, massive amount of work and like... Um, oh, I never considered it work. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, cool. Yeah. I always loved it. Very cool. Um, all right. And then as far as if we're looking at like current events, how has, how have the like legislators, you know, state representatives, senators and everything worked in everything going on right now, as far as like COVID is concerned, how, on one hand, are you glad you're not involved at this point? Or do you see things that you wish had been dealt with differently? Well, I think the biggest challenge for the legislatures going forward is going to be the budget. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a huge cut in the budget, and the way the <clears throat> legislature runs, you pass a two-year budget, so you had already spent money. Supposedly, you'd spent money. Right. Well, the first year you spent, and their second year you have spent. So they're going to have to go in and make, do, make huge cuts. It's going to be very difficult. Right. It's very difficult. I feel real positive about some of the members we have there, and mm-hmm. it's positive about people who are running for office. One of the things we need is people who have strong voices in, in, in our area. We mm-hmm. need somebody who knows your community, who knows the needs. Yeah. And so that's going to be important. Yeah. But it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be very difficult. You're going to have to make, they're going to have to make some very difficult decisions. And, you know, what's a priority for King County is not necessarily a priority for Allen County. Yeah. And Eastern Washington is a whole other... Yeah. And actually, Eastern Washington, they think they're don't get much, but they get a whole lot considering how small they are. Mm-hmm. The population is really east of the, or west of the mountains. Right, right. And that problems on, on the I-5 corridor are huge, huge. Just the masses of people. Right. Transportation problems. I mean, you know, 
I don't know. I used to say I wish we could figure out how we could go back and do things over again. I'm a big supporter of tunneling. I think I was responsible for the tunnel in Seattle. I was okay. the one that said we're going to build a tunnel. Mm -hmm. We should tunnel through the mountains <laughs> and put a rapid train across there mm -hmm. and bring the two communities together. But that won't happen because of the crisis we're going to be facing with, with yeah. funding. And it's going to be extremely difficult with the education, too, because they had to fully fund education. And it takes the biggest share of the budget. But they're going to have to make cuts in education, too. And any time mm -hmm. you start cutting education, you hurt kids. Right. And I'm really concerned about smaller school districts. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something that, um, you know, both regardless of where you are, the, the school districts and where you are there, um, and the education level of your children, that's a very, very important. Well, and actually, well, there are a lot of people doing homeschool, but a lot of people depend on the Internet. Mm -hmm. But one of the problems right now is the broadband issue. Yeah. You know, it's not available. I've actually served on a state board that's dealing with broadband. We are, have some grants that are going out to put broadband in place. But there are places where kids aren't, aren't, can't access broadband. Yeah. So if they're going to school, public school, they can't even get the classes. Right. So that's a huge problem. Yeah. Well, I think the thing with when it comes to internet, like you've got this this great equalizer again, it, it allows mm -hmm. anyone um, you know, if you've got the drive and you've got the you know, the idea to push something, you can compete with the the giants because you have mm -hmm. the same access. You've got internet access. But if you don't have that, it's such a big gap now. That is That's one of the biggest problems they're going to face. We have you know, we have some state money, and we're going to hopefully get some federal money to begin to push the broadband out into... Eastern Washington is huge. There's no question about that. There's a lot of areas that need that. There are school districts up there that actually, when I was in the legislature and on transportation, we allowed them to run the, the line along the highways mm -hmm. for nothing, even the privates, so that we could get access to our schools. Yeah. But there's so many areas that... Like this island. There are just, yeah. black, just dead holes. Yeah. And, you know, we need to have broadband on this island. Yeah. One of our problems on this island is, is we don't have a government other than the county. Right. And I have often thought that we have a small port district on South Whidbey, on South Camino. Yeah. This area, should we should all become part of that port district. Mm -hmm. And that port district could be the one who would facilitate broadband. Yeah. We could add it. All the rest of us could annex to that port. And we'd be the port of Camino Island. Yeah. And we could then be the be the facilitator for broadband. Now, right now, they've got to figure out how to get us services. They might use the Everett PUD, but still, just think, wouldn't it be nice if it was Camino had the access right. control? Yeah. Well, the fact that, like, you just go barely past the plaza, and, and if you're not, like, right off the main line, or even if you are on the main road, like, internet stops. And yeah, it's true. crazy. It's crazy. So. And it really creates problems for jobs. South yeah. Whidbey has had a broadband for a long time. Mm -hmm. And on South Whidbey, there's a lot of people who have jobs that are international jobs. Yeah. And they work from home on South Whidbey yep. because they have access to the broadband. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. That's something that if they could figure that out and, and get that throughout the whole island, that would make a massive difference. It would make a massive difference. So. And it creates jobs, you know, and actually yeah. jobs good for the environment, too. Right. You know, it, that would do a lot of positive things. For the environment. Yeah. Because I don't think you're going to always have to have great big complexes for buildings anymore. Right. In fact, it's going to be interesting to see how many people actually go back into their offices. Right. Once this is over with. Yeah. There's already a lot of big companies that have decided that they realize they don't need that 
that's true. And so there. I have a my well Nathan's mother, Cherie. Mm-hmm. She worked for an insurance company, and when Nathan was born, she was going to quit, and they facilitated so she could work from home. Okay. She was the first one in, in the Primera Insurance Company to work from home. Okay. And they run a special wire out to their house. Right now, they have nobody in her job description that's not working from home. Yeah. So that's in your lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it's definitely something that's coming more and more readily available. And then, um, you know, and that's kind of the whole idea behind our the collaborative workspace is that there is a point where people do want to be, at least leave the house. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's, it's nice. Yeah. And sometimes it's nice to, to not, you know, some people are good at compartmentalizing and, and are okay, like, um, working from home and, and then being able to leave work and then be with the family. But some people have a harder time with that. And so they do find that like working in a, in a quote unquote office, you know, helps them to kind of separate that. And you need to sit down across the table and look at each other. Yeah. One time when I was, I was actually ranking minority on transportation and the guy who was the Republican who was a Senator was chairman of the, in the Senate and a guy in the House was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't sit in the same room to each other. I used to take the paper back and forth to them. <laughs> I'm making it was ridiculous. And it was stupid. <laughs> but you know, if they sat down and looked at each other, they both were from Seattle. They both had similar interests, but it was just an ego trip as much as anything else. <sighs> but it was just crazy. Yeah. But when you get people, like I said, I used to get people together around the table. In fact, when I used to write budgets, it used to drive my staff crazy. I would have the ranking minority, and then I'd have equal Democrats. I'd have six or three Democrats and three Republicans and the two, two of us. So there would be four, four of each. Yeah. And we'd sit at a table and write the budget. <laughs> and my staff would say, you can do this all by yourself. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> We're going to write this budget together. And yep. we all have ownership in this budget. Yeah. And I always remember I had a little girl from South... from. Eastern Washington, never voted for a tax in her life. And I, so I said, Joyce, you would like to be on the budget committee? I said, but you got to tell me, if, if you're on the budget committee and you help make put that budget together, you got to be willing to vote for it. And she stood on the floor and spoke for that budget. Oh, very cool. And that tax to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Because she had an interest in it. Yeah. And plus $800,000, $800 million to build across. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the truth of the matter is, if you can put people together and they all have an interest in something, mm-hmm. they're willing to give and take. Yeah. And then they got to stand up together and vote for it. Yep. Yeah. But it doesn't happen as much anymore. Yeah. No, for sure. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, so the first one is, do you have a lesser known or favorite location on Camano Island that you like to hang out? Oh, that's a lot of ladies aid. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. Uh, what would their first day look like here? Well, first day I would take them around the island, visit Cama Beach, mm-hmm. one place, uh, State Park, visit the access to the beaches. Yeah. That's, I think, really important for people to know that you can get to the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially if people are just coming on the island, never been here before. You know, you drive onto the island and you're like, where can I actually go to the beach? Because you start driving around, you're like, okay, that's a neighborhood, that's a neighborhood. So... Yeah. Yeah. No, very important. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Well, I would suggest you look at uh, Jeff Wheeler. He's, you know, he has a lot of history about Cama Beach. A lot of people are interested in Cama Beach mm-hmm. history. And he was intimately involved in that whole process. Another person you might want to talk to is Ellen Hall. 
Okay. Alan Hall is grew up on the island too. He lives here. His family were farmers on the island, homesteaders. Okay. Um, if you really wanted to talk to an interesting person, you might want to talk to Dick Moe. He'd talk your leg off. Okay. He knows a lot about the fire service. Uh, former Duane, uh, County Commissioner Dwayne Kobe. Dwayne Kobe. Okay. He's a real interesting man. Very progressive man. A lot of good things happened when he and Bill Dunlap were county commissioners. Actually, you know, Island County was really ahead of the time in, in, in uh, composting. Okay. And waste management. Mm-hmm. So, and, and he had a lot involved in that. Okay. Those are interesting people. Um, yeah. The Leckway family, John Leckway or Jay Leckway, they're interesting people. They're history people you'd talk to. Okay. I think some of our artists are pretty outstanding. I think John Ebner's an interesting man. Yeah. Um, Carla Metzke is an interesting person, too. Mm-hmm. She's a really good artist, and she's done a lot for the area. But we have lots of interesting people here. Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of the reason why I started the podcast is because I, there, you know, growing up, my dad talked to a lot of different people on the island. He's like, did you know that this person did this and this person did this? And so I was like, well, we should start, like, getting some of these interviews, like, getting to know some of these people more and, like, having some, something that we can save about them. So When I was on the school board, one of the things I encouraged the school district to do was to invite some people into the – people who retired out here with wonderful experience, life experience, yeah. into the school to speak to the students. Yeah. And it went on for quite a while. Yeah. And, and you know, the, even students who grew up here and went on and did something else to come back and tell what the success of their life. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely a neat island. There's a lot of really neat people out here. So. All right. And lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard on Kameno Island, right as you're driving on the island, what would that say? Keep Kameno clean. a good place to live yeah yep all right well thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today this was awesome well i feel like i rattle on a whole lot about a whole lot of different things no this was great and one of the questions you were going to ask me is what my favorite things that i did in the legislature i did a lot of legislation that was had just laws but probably the most important thing i ever did was things like kama beach uh, bridges parks beach access Anything that could be continued that people could enjoy ongoing. Mm-hmm. That's really what's important. Yeah. Laws just come and go, but actually land that can be left for people yeah. is important. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, thank you. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Mary Margaret for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And if you want more information on this episode, you can go to kamenocommons.com slash EP55. That's kamenocommons.com slash EP55. Thanks for listening and see you next time.